Hey, this is Jordan. Just wanted to share what this episode that you're about to listen to is. It was originally recorded for our sister show, Charm City Soccer Cast, and also for the Closed Pyramid. But I'm putting it up here on this feed as well as uh, it is an interview with a lower level soccer uh, affiliate, Baltimore City FC. Rather new team that was just founded in 2023. And we have Nick uh, from the club who's going to talk about what it was like to start the club, what you know, what type of level they play at, future of the club, future of soccer in this market of Baltimore. So I thought it might be interesting for any stateside soccer show listeners as well is just about American soccer. Hey, what is it like to run a team in this market and, you know, a big market like Baltimore that doesn't have a team yet in an MLS or USL capacity, you know, what the future of this market is. So I, th- I thought it was a pretty enlightening conversation. Hopefully you agree. So here you go. Hello and welcome. We are uh, going to be chatting with Nick from Baltimore City FC. So let me go ahead and introduce our guest, Nick. Uh, if you can, I guess, introduce yourself and just uh, like what you do for the club and just kind of general information about yourself or the club uh, to our listeners. Thanks. And Jordan, thanks for having us on. Um, I am Nick. I'm the managing director of Baltimore City FC. We have uh, been, this is our first year of existence, though, with some. In some way, we've existed last year as well, and this is where we're currently playing in the Maryland Major Soccer League with some news coming out soon and where we're going to head next year, but that's that's the skinny of it. That's who, you know, throughout this call, throughout this show, really, we're going to really dive more into who we are and our approach to soccer in our state and where we're going to go from here. All right. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to come on here and talk about the club. Uh, So just for all of our listeners here, I'm just going to share that this is typically for my uh, side podcast called uh, Charm City Soccer Cast, but I'm going to be sharing it on all of our podcast feeds uh, just, you know, to kind of explore what some lower level uh, U.S. soccer looks like. So you mentioned what league they play in. Can you kind of maybe describe to everyone like what level that's at or uh you know what makes that uh, like what type of teams are populated into that level and uh you know just what maybe um what that entails because i think most people don't even realize that maybe that level exists well you'd be surprised um the maryland majors has existed actually in some form i think it actually predates world war one in some form it was it had a different mm-hmm. name and the same kind of people would be involved and you know things develop the way they do but nominally called the maryland majors has existed since the 60s and it used to be um a pr- it used to be pretty much the only thing around uh it was a lot of teams from basically baltimore city but also around the area and has been the starting or jumping you know area it for a number of other clubs have you know 
it's hard pressed to find a club that hasn't spent at least one season in the Maryland majors and then either gone up down or sideways essentially. And where it stands is basically the top level. It's one of the U S um, USAS was it us adult soccer association leagues. So it is by one definition, you'll find people say, Oh, it's fifth definition in the pyramid. Some Mm -hmm. will say it's sixth. I say it's 5.5 because it's actually (laughs) in a process of being sewn into the pipeline. That is the NISA side of things. So it is considered a feeder league to the EPSL which is itself a feeder league to Nisa Nation and Nisa. Now, the caveat to that is it's something new for the Maryland majors and other leagues on that pyramid have had experience with that, particularly further north in the New York area. That's sort of where the inspiration is to try to put things together and make this a regional pipeline. And I love it. I think it's... um, it's something that has proven to be pretty exciting. Um, this, you know, we'll dive right into it, but I think this is the clear and now the best way to actually proceed for soccer in Maryland as soccer in this country starts to enter another chapter mm-hmm. that is the World Cup and what follows. And we are in talks with the Eastern Premier Soccer League to become basically they're enough what their Baltimore City franchise we can I'm sure we'll get to that later but that's that's essentially where things are the Maryland majors is one of a number of amateur soccer leagues in the area the teams that are in it tend to be more towards the southern you know Baltimore City and south yeah. of it that sort of corridor area. I know that there is a competing league that's further north around the Towson area. So I think it maybe not by design, but certainly just how it sort of fell and landed is that all the leagues do have their own regional focus, barring some exceptions. So we'll see where I know I'm not affiliated with the league. I do want to see the league grow. And I think this has been a very transformative year for the league. And it's, I'm very interested to see where it goes from there. Awesome. So, you know, when you talk about the future of soccer in this state, right? Um, it's something that I want to kind of talk about because there is, um, I would say, a common theme that this market kind of gets skipped over a bit when we talk about uh, professional soccer, even. Um, you know, we just had we were constantly rumored for USL championship. And then that kind of just fell through the last, uh, the last group that was trying to bring that here. Um, and then now it looks like maybe we get a stadium for an MLS next pro team for DC United, which I'm not sure the city will really care about, you know, going to see Academy kids pretty much for a, for a DC team. And then a lot of the other professional teams are kind of more in this, more in the South, right? Like, uh, like Maryland Bobcats who play in Nisa, but they play at the soccer plex, which, um, for some of us that are more North, I'm, I'm in Harford County. So for me, uh, anything that's like South of Baltimore or closer to that 
you know, Annapolis, uh, Prince uh, George's County area is a hike, you know, a hike. I, I've gone to the soccerplex a few times to see Open Cup games when DC played there a lot. I haven't been able to get out there for the Bobcats recently, but I, I want to. Um, so I guess when you're looking at the Baltimore market itself and just the viability of it, uh, you know, we, we see other areas kind of get teams that maybe have the same sort of market share or market size of Baltimore, but it seems like we're never really in the talk for those major league soccer teams, or even, like I said, any of those USL teams in serious, serious talks. So I'll try to contribute to this um, both as a fan and Mm -hmm. as the managing director of one of many teams in this country and in this area and try to balance that as best as possible. Um, I'm with you on the re I, I think. I'm I'm not going to go to a Maryland Bobcats game as a fan. It, it's I don't. To me, the sport has to really be about the connection you have to the club. Um, soccer is a very funny, finicky sport that way. And when um, okay, so I grew up in Germany, and you had your local team. Like I could see the stadium from my house. Uh, that's I went to go see them um do practice at the field that was free i could never afford tickets at the time right but that's what the team that i was supported and we would talk about it at school like the 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 neighborhood and at that point the entire left west side of the city um that was the team um there was a team 20 minute metro ride east and though that was a different Despite being the same city, that was a different country. I didn't get it. it. I had no connection to it. The history didn't speak to me. And that sort of tribalism even would even come up with sort of weird reasons why you just wouldn't support that team, valid or not. In this country, because it's all about distance, it's just too friggin' far. And I'm not going to go on a regular basis to a team that, albeit might have Maryland in it, I, I don't, I'm not... It's the same reason when I go to DC United, it's fun, it's a show, but I'm not going to wear a DC United jersey around the city of Baltimore because it's, that's to me, and that might be an extreme perspective, a little ridiculous. Coming to your other side of things, um, yeah, Baltimore is, since the existence of Soccer Talk, um, part of the discussion and discourse of a candidate. And it's been used as a bargaining tool for other pro teams. Well, if we're, we're not going to get what we want, we're going to move over there. And I think that's honestly actually kind of offensive for any soccer fan in the city. But, you know, we move on. Don't let it affect you too much. And it's coming up again, I think, the same sort of feelings with, well, we can't put our academy in Northern Virginia because we already have a affiliate in Northern Virginia. Let's just put it, you know, out there somewhere. And that out there somewhere, people live there. And if you're going to put something that has the term DC on it, I, I find that weird to me. I mean, that's, that makes it very clear that the people who run this organization view Baltimore as a suburb of DC, which is, we, we don't have time to dive into why that's wrong, but we'll focus on the soccer side of things. There's, it's just not right. 
And am I surprised that D that uh, Baltimore gets skipped on by investors? No, not at all. The, the city gets skipped on by investors outside of soccer almost on a weekly basis. That's just, there's something weird and cursed, if you will, about this place. And what happens actually, it does mean that you, me, our neighbors, we have to do it our own way. And that's kind of, there are many examples of that in soccer and out of soccer of people just succeeding here because they form a collective with their neighbors or like-minded individuals who work in the same areas they do here and find success and build their way up. Where that, what that means long-term, I don't know, but it's certainly the way I would gauge the temperature in this city right now. Yeah, and I, I think to clarify for people, if they're listening and they're not from this area, um, th there's a lot of like, like you said, where people, I think outside of here, especially or in the DC area, kind of treat Baltimore as like a like a suburb of DC. Baltimore fans are not usually a, somebody that's going to root for a, a DC team. You know, when we didn't have the Ravens, they weren't rooting for Washington. Uh, you know, we don't have an NBA team or NHL team. Most Baltimore fans just don't affiliate themselves with the Wizards or Capitals. So it, it would be very hard, I think, for a DC team like United to, to come in and uh, uh, have their MLS Next Pro team here and find success, uh, especially if they named it something like DC United 2 and not you know, giving it its own little flair, but even in like the, the bigger soccer hubs, uh, nobody really goes to the MLS next pro games. You get like 500 fans. So I'm just not really sure on, on how that would even draw so enough, but I would add something to that. Um, without giving too much away, um, I think, and it's not really breaking news, but I think one can certainly say, look, there is going to be an MLS, next pro team in the Baltimore area affiliated with DC. That's that's a given. One does not need to dig hard and realize, oh, that's, you know, it's there. And DC United isn't the conversation you and I are having has been had in boardrooms. It's been had over beers. It's been had in on it's been had. DC United is not going to name I'm assuming DC United will not be that silly and name their team anything related to Washington or DC for something that's that's within a ball kick away from downtown Baltimore. That's just I'm they're not they're not dumb. But the rest of us are going to know that. And there will be folks who are going to see this is this is a good thing and sure. I think having a professionalized pipeline and we need to get into this in amongst all the other ones that exist currently in the area that is tied in with DC United. That's awesome. I, I root for that. This place is rich with talent and it, it needs some sort of draw from that. That's a good thing. But I, with you on this one, no, no. The people who march to our game with flags and a jersey aren't going to go see a DC game. Uh, DC right. MLS next pro. That's just, it's not going to happen. And the same guy who during the Ravens nationals fiasco a couple years ago is 
less likely to be like, I'm not going to support that team. That's that's a DC team. That's a that's a that's literally a double A or single A team in Baltimore. When we should be having our own organization to begin with. Right. Right. So so kind of moving on from that and and the market itself because you know we've been able to have a indoor team blast are still going on pretty well uh so we can you know they even get radio airtime on like sports channels every so often where they'll have the coach on or people on but so looking at this club baltimore city fc where does the club leadership and and yourself here see opportunities for the club uh in this community, you know, in Charm City, what what are like the what opportunities do you have? Uh, if you can't share where they're playing next year or whatever, that's fine. But like, uh, how high can this you know club club go? I think it's important to really give whether it's give kudos or put an underline about the other teams that are in operation in the area and how much incredible work they've done laying down a framework and being basically pillars that are the essence essentially of soccer culture um, in the city. I think the Baltimore Blast, they're they're known nationwide. They're known in or continent-wise at this point. That is a that is a historically relevant team to the game that is soccer, albeit a different form. And their affiliates as well. Um, the Baltimore Kings have been around for a number of years, and what they have done is immense. And I know intimately the organization somewhat, and I think th- I'm so excited when they come out with news and their association with a new team out in Salisbury. That's super awesome. Salisbury the, Stakes, right? That's right. <laughs> the explosion that is the annapolis blues awesome excellent i love it and i think all of these pieces what they're doing is just throwing dynamite that is the hunger of fans of the sport in this city and one thing comes clear which is one has to do the homework from last year's summer on as we were coming out okay as we were coming out of the pandemic, sort of the opening stage of the pandemic, of post-pandemic rather, I felt very frustrated as a fan because I spent the majority of the pandemic watching soccer, like most of us, on the screen. I was like, okay, I need to feel this atmosphere in person and not drive an hour to go get it. And I spoke with a couple of Um, contacts that I knew here in the city and we had sort of you know oh in the back of a napkin had sort of had some ideas over a beer I was like you know what would it take who do we know and it took a little bit of its life on its own but then I kind of stopped and said hang on this has been done countless times before and by to be absolutely honest smarter wealthier and more connected people than us have tried to do this and it has not worked. Which means we cannot go any further unless we do our homework essentially. And I called friggin' 
everyone. I emailed everyone. I called anyone who was either involved with, you know, playing, managing, sponsoring, whatever, involved with a some form of soccer team that existed in this city throughout the past 20 years. So that's Crystal Palace, that's the Bohemians, that's a number of semi-pro teams and elite amateur teams as well. And I asked a number of questions, but essentially it just came down to why don't you exist anymore? And what did you learn? And what would you do differently now that didn't exist then or not at all? And you'll notice that a couple of the takeaways are what we spoke about you know, mere minutes ago, which is um, soccer is a weird, finicky sport. You can't have a team at a certain level play really far away in a very uninteresting place next to a parking lot and try to build a culture from that. It's not going to happen. It, this is a sports city. People love the Orioles because they can go to Pickles and they can walk past the statue and they can talk with other Orioles fans that come from near, far and near and they can talk about, oh, this is my grandfather who lived in that row house over there when so-and-so hit the home run and went through his window. I made that up off the spot, but would you be surprised? No, because that is culture. Whether you're, and it's not, this isn't breaking news. People are watching Welcome to Wrexham and they're starting to realize this is a completely different way to sports fandom than going to a massive institution that is American football. I grew up with it. I see the stadium. I heard the stadium while eating dinner when goals were scored and I knew that my team was winning. So when you have a field located in a parking lot really far away, no one, people might go for the competitive side of things, but there is that little bit of flavor missing, which is why it's really important to have a really good location with an identity that is blended in with wherever it is and can build on that both on game day, not on game day, before kickoff and after kickoff. There are teams in this area have that have done this well. The Annapolis Blues have done that well. Columbia FC have done that very well. And they've been at this for a number of years. And I believe they're gonna come out with some interesting news soon too because of the work that they've done to make themselves the Columbia team. We're doing the same. People know us and when they see our fans after the game having a beer together somewhere, people ask like, those are interesting colors. Those are local sponsors that I recognize. Who are you guys? And they tell us like, oh, that's awesome. That's a local team. That's a team that, that sews in local identity local pride and local themes in your club mantra down the line people would say you know that's part of the way they play but we're not there yet we're, we don't have that those resources available to us so that was one thing that really came away is like the location especially here for a city that's so identity centric is super important it's it's you can't, you can't really grow without it. Um, winning helped. That's no, you cannot deny. Uh, winning a trophy in our first season and then defending it in our second season, massive help. And we did that, again, holding back to our connections, 
through a number of targeted recruitment, really good tryouts, um, and really, really good cohesion with all the people involved with the project. I'm so happy. All of this leads to next year, and I will not say where we're going to go, but I can say that the locations, since we have three in mind, are places where there will be, I mean, you could bike there from almost anywhere in the city of Baltimore. You could take a bus, you could drive, but more importantly, you wouldn't be driving for long. And you wouldn't also, after the game, be just looking, walking back to your car and going somebody else. You're going to be in a situation where either before the game, you're walking with a group of people to the field or grounds or pitch or stadium. That's for you to find out later. Um, and then afterwards, those same people are going to be milling about having a drink, talking about the game, good or bad, hopefully more good than bad. And that's so important. I think... American soccer fans like Mike, like you, like me, we're starting to realize that, which is you got to do more than just have a product. Um, there are MLS teams that are now slowly realizing that they've reached their ceiling on attendance numbers because they're located in a place that no one wants to go. It's, it's a hassle going to. Um, the Chicago Fire moved to Soldier Field, which brings its own problems. But they're bringing in new fans. But that's not what today is about. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Uh, location is always something that has been a problem for Baltimore-based teams. Uh, you mentioned the Bohemians, who spent a few seasons in Cedar Lane, Bel Air, which was great for me because I live up there. Uh, so I'm like getting to the game. I was, you know, volunteering back then as a college kid and like selling merch and tickets. But um, like you said, people are not going to drive. If they're in the city, they're not going to drive all the way out to northern Harford County to, to catch a game just because it has Baltimore in the title. Even the Blast now are playing in Towson CQ Arena, um, their basketball arena. Um, so, uh, and I think there was a few seasons where the Bows played in Baltimore City, but it was, uh, I can't recall where they played at. Um, they played at Loyola. Yes. Yep. yep. They played also at Latro. No, um, Von Vegna Field. Okay. In um, which, yeah, those are the two I think city locations that they were playing in. Yeah, and that was always a thing that I think for some people it's a turnoff some people they don't even hear about it then because it's not anywhere that they're going to see signs of right like if yeah. you don't follow them on social you don't know where they're playing or or um if you're a baltimore soccer fan you have no clue they exist if they're playing in towson or bel-air because you know you're not seeing that as you're driving to work or whatever so the fact that the city itself, like wherever this team goes next year, that they can reach that via bikes or like you said, driving, that's all huge for, you know, getting these more local teams um, off the ground. Yep. And whether it's USL championship, USL one, USL two, up and down the pyramid, there are organizations recognizing that, that people will, 
you know, go for dinner and then they will see people wearing the same colors, jerseys, drums, scarves, and they go, whoa, what's going on here? As they head back to the car and head back home and they'll ask and they'll find out. That's not going to happen when everybody's driving to a game. Right, right. Uh, and yeah, they're usually out in like, like these fields that are, like you said, just next to a parking lot off the beaten path, not like right in the, you know, center of, um, of the city or, you know, um, somewhere where people can see you or you can walk to a bar, like you said, and, and get some, um, beers after the game. Uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear about more of the future plans when it becomes available. Um, but I guess also with this league that you're currently in the Maryland majors and stuff, if anybody was interested in watching the team uh, or even following along for scores and standings, what is the best way to really follow that type of uh, information? Well, that is a, that is a project. I think that the league is starting to grapple with. I think um, the people who run it are excellent. They're talented. They're bringing on some new folks that are thinking outside of the box because previously it was not as easy as one would think. So we're just trying to do whatever we can for the people who want to find out our scores and our standings and follow us. So we've started streaming in-house. We've just been trying to be um, as well vocal as possible on updates and news on our end um amplify whatever the league puts out that i think would be of interest to our audience maybe with the new developments vis-a-vis -vis the league and its um parent league the one that it feeds into perhaps one would hope that this would actually entice or rather galvanize the league to actually shore up a couple of things and be a little bit more proactive they need they need all teams to be involved with that and there is talks between the owners and managers of these teams to sort of give each other tips on how to grow because when when we all grow it's kind of it's we're all buyers we're all basically buying into a product that is the maryland major soccer league and if we're investing our time, our players, our resources, our money. We want, we're doing that all together. Right. A rising and tide lifts all boats, right? Exactly. And to another analogy would also be iron sharpens iron here, which right. is, you know, if, if three teams really are doing it really well, they're going to recognize that and they're going to put their best out towards each other. And I'm not talking necessarily about soccer scores or results or talents. I'm just talking about the product that is the club that's trying to grow. And higher divisions will recognize that. And I would say right now, it is one can look at the Maryland majors and one there are currently 10 teams that all have a very attractive product, essentially. It's an entertainment. It, it's all entertainment. So there are 10 that have a very interesting and all very different and very unique styles of play, styles of broadcasting themselves and styles of identity. And it's, it's, it's how it should be even. And I think that's fun. I think it's excellent. And 
we'll see who comes out on top at the end of it. But nonetheless, the ones who do the work, the ones that really grind and do their due diligence, um, find success. All right. So I just have like maybe a couple more questions before we wrap it up. Uh, but you, you were talking about, you know, when you were getting the team kind of off the ground and, and reaching out to contacts and stuff, what is it like to, I guess, find the type of players, right? These are all amateurs. Like you're, you're going and looking for amateur players. And then you also, how does like a whole kit process go making the kits? Like who do you get in contact for that type of stuff? And you know, we're, was anybody like drawing ideas up or how does that, how does that work when you're just getting started? Okay. The, the design came first of, sorry, let me rephrase the, the design of the club identity came first. Right. Um, myself and my colleagues, Ben and Joe, we knew that we wanted to be operating a team that fervently made the Baltimore identity part of its, operations on a daily basis, on an hourly basis on certain days. So that included a simple design, something that would stand out, didn't need to be too flashy. I'm also a very, so my background is crisis management and program management. So I am a stickler when it comes to finding the best price for value and things like that. So I knew that I, I wasn't, focused on making a clothing brand. I didn't want BCFC to hyper-focus on, well, we have to be the attractive. Right. We have to have the attractive jersey. No, we had to have a winning team and a winning experience that the jersey played a secondary role to the identity and not the other way around. And I think that's really key. I think there are teams out there who have done it the other way around, and I have thoughts on that. But yeah. Um, the, the idea and the identity came first. And that was the easiest part, to be absolutely honest. That's something that's it's, it's not difficult to put together. We then knew that we had to have local backers. So we reached out to a number of personal connections that we had to organizations that were trying to broaden their marketing and advertising through sports. Um, that they were very quickly um, enthusiastic about it and we're early supporters. We all then had to find our main sponsor who ended up being Guilford Hall Brewing. And that was a stroke of planets aligning, stroke of luck. Walked in and they told me what they wanted. I had already showed them what I wanted. And within five minutes we had our, we had a shake of hands basically saying, okay, this is what, That's awesome. this is what we're going to do. We're going to slap you on there. We're going to start selling this with your name on it. And we're going to send everybody your way whenever you do a soccer event. And that's what happened. It's mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. Jimmy's joined on a little later, but I think that was because they wanted to just sort of, I don't know, but they reached out and maybe they wanted to see that we were not a bunch of jokers, that we right. were pretty serious about this. And they've been excellent as well. So that's sort of everything that took place in the first, mm, the first phase, essentially. Mm -hmm. All the players are amateur. All the players are amateur. And of the player pool that we've had the entire year, because about 10 of them are currently playing in college. Right. Two thirds we knew. Either Ben, Joe, or myself knew. Um, 
Joe is pretty active in college soccer. Ben is pretty active in development soccer in the DC area. And I'm pretty active in um, sort of arena soccer in the Baltimore area, as well as soccer in Columbia. So we pulled a couple of players together and said, okay, we can build a core around this. And then we posted tryout dates and we realized, scrap that. Now we have a hundred people to pick from. And let's see, let's, let's make it very clear that we wanted a mentality of a player that would fight for this position that they wanted to play in. And what happened was uh, we fielded an A team and a B team, first team and reserves, and players have moved between the two based off of form, injury, whatever the strategy required that weekend, and competition for certain positions. That's still ongoing too. And we were able to bring in some players that are ex-pros that went through an injury or a life event that halted that phase of their career and are slowly looking to get back into this either at semi-pro or low-level pro level. They've been excellent leaders. I think we've found natural leaders out of people who didn't expect to be, maybe, and have given them an opportunity. There are players that come to mind that walked on and told us, yeah, I've never been part of a youth academy. I've never been, you know, parents couldn't afford it. I'm not going to college. I'm working construction. I just want to play. And they've, they're they a starter. They're regular starters because they are talented individuals. Um, Joe and Ben have done an... I, I removed myself from all operations related to soccer and development and practice as much as possible. I fill in when needed, but generally my role doesn't involve myself with any of that. But when I sit down on the bleachers as a fan and watch the game and sometimes come out to practices and see how it goes. It's very clear that Joe and Ben have built something very special. That's obvious when you win a title in your first, it's twice so if you win it back to back. And it's especially true when you're competing for it again in your third season. That's everything that took place before the first kick of the ball. Wow, that's awesome. I, I just like hearing about some of that. <laughs> local yeah. local stuff and how you how you get this started because um it's always been an interesting uh thing when looking at how would you know my dream has always been win win the lottery start a team right <laughs> haven't won the lottery but uh <laughs> well when you i think yes of course um i think a number of baltimore locals were really trying their luck these past couple of weeks with the lottery and saying that'll be the us the person to bring usl to baltimore right, right sure and somebody probably would and would pay out of the nose to play them at the bank or the new under armor place and probably then sell it to somebody else but that didn't happen and what does exist is a team that is backed by local organizations mm -hmm. it's run by locals the players are all like super local and everyone, everyone involved with the club directly or indirectly right to the fans that come to our game regularly knows that this is something unique. This is something special. And I wasn't there for the Bohemians period, mm -hmm. but I've heard a lot about it and it sounds like it's the same atmosphere at our games as it was then. I think that's really important because 
that's how it's that's how it should be. I mean, it it is essentially the same core overlapping audience. It's a question of how can you make it bigger? How can you grow it? How can you make this right for everyone? And be sensible about it. Don't make any gambles. Don't make any assumptions. Know what you know and know what you don't know. And then that's how your project, or in this case, the club, will actually be successful. And it has been. I think next year is going to be super exciting. Um, I can't wait. I'm hoping our first choice location, it's very likely to be where we're going to be. And it's going to be uh, transformative to us, transformative to soccer in the area and fans of the sport because it's going to allow people to spend two hours every single week on a Saturday or Sunday uh, be part of a new revolution that is Baltimore soccer and one that's probably sustainable and we'll see who pays attention because I know certain individuals are paying attention. Um, I, I know from government to uh, private enterprise, people know who we are and they're really paying attention to you know, the way things are, and that is, do people actually go to games? Are there customers? <laughs> are there people who really want to see this grow? And that I don't care about. What I do care about is, as a fan, being with other fans and celebrating and supporting a team that is in my area and that I feel intrinsically connected with. And that's not necessarily a very hard concept to understand as i imagine you will you will agree with yes yeah i mean for for so long i've been wanting a team uh just like any team here because like uh when i started following soccer is like the closest team was dc uh I, I actually jumped on to to i started really paying attention to major league soccer in 2010 and started you know following the union but that you know that's still an hour and a half up up the road from me and stuff so it's been something I want. That's why I even created the Charm City Soccer Cast. I was hoping, you know, I can cover all levels of, of Maryland or Baltimore soccer with that. So I just want to thank you for, for coming on again. And if you wanted to share where anybody can follow the club on socials or, you know, uh, anything like that. Sure. We I'll actually start by saying we got three games left in the regular season. We are in a, I think, a four-team battle for the playoff spots. Wow. <laughs> uh, it is very tight, and we play the other three. We oh. play each one of them. So it, it is entirely in our destiny. Um, I would I would seriously argue that having noise in the stands does help us immensely. I mean, I wouldn't say. I know it does. I've seen it happen, and right. the players have told me it, it's an immense boost. They don't these guys don't do well in silence. They do well in chaos, both on and off, you know, the field that they're playing on. Um, aside from that, oh yeah, Sundays, every Sunday at Latrobe Park. I think those are the remaining days. Uh, playoffs will probably be at Latrobe Park as well. But in the meantime, you can find a lot more about us on mostly on Instagram uh, at Baltimore City FC 23. We're on Facebook, we're on TikTok as well. We're on Twitter and YouTube as well. YouTube, you'll find all of our um, past couple of 
game broadcasts. Oh. But what's going to be coming out relatively soon, I'm super excited for. I work with a talented um, graduate out of Bowie State called Shania Gordon. She and I are going to postseason be working on a little bit of a Welcome to Wrexham style documentary because we have a bunch of footage that we started filming well back in spring and we've just been too busy to compile it. But postseason, we've, I mean, already we've already started doing storyboards for it and you're going to find. If you weren't there for the final, if you weren't there for the summer games, if you weren't there for the tough season that is this fall, that's okay because you're going to find out more about us, how it was, and where we're going to, you know, as the news trickles out regarding 2024, you're going to find it there as well, as well as all of our other sources of information. Awesome. That sounds amazing. Uh, that Welcome to welcome to Baltimore, hon, right? There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but thank you, Nick, for coming on again, and uh, love to have you on again sometime in the future if you wanted to talk more. Uh, yeah, absolutely. When when more news uh, comes out in the future. Yeah, right. Jordan, it's it's been a pleasure. I really thank you for reaching out. This has been great. I think that this is what you do is really important for the sport, especially for this area, and you play a key role. Can't let it go to waste. Thank you. <laughs>